From Georgia Public Broadcasting, this is On Second Thought. I'm Virginia Prescott. The state of Georgia is getting older fast. The Census Bureau estimates that by 2030, one-fifth of Georgia residents will be 65 or older. By 2050, the number of Georgians older than 85 will triple from the number in 2010. Some businesses and organizations are anticipating the needs of the state's aging population by developing, quote, age-friendly communities, unquote. Today, the Atlanta Regional Commission holds a forum on that very topic. Here to tell us more is Metro Atlanta's Agency on Aging Director, Becky Kurtz. Hello. Hi, good to be with you. Also with us, Will Johnston. He's Executive Director of the Microlife Institute and a speaker at today's ARC event. Hello. Hi. Glad you're here. Catching up with both of you before the summit, which is called Lifelong Communities, Making the Atlanta Region Age-Friendly. And age-friendly, that's not just a marketing term. This is actually an official World Health Organization designation. What does it mean? That's right. It means a community where people of all ages and abilities can thrive. And how do we make those kinds of communities, I guess, is the big question. Absolutely. And and you can think at the big picture level, but I actually think it helps to start thinking at the individual level. Is the house that I live in right now going to allow me to get older in it or not? And are, what, what are some of the factors you consider? Right. So, for example, if I had, the, um, I had limited mobility and have problems with my knees or my hips, am I going to have steps that are between me and the bathroom? Am I going to be able to get out and participate in my community or are steps in my way? Can I access transportation easily? What if I've outlived my ability to drive? Most of us will outlive our ability to drive by seven to 10 years. What are we going to do with that decade of time where we can't drive our own vehicle? What does the community do to help me be able to stay there and continue to participate in my community? These are some big questions. Absolutely. And the communities around the world are at different stages of adopting age-friendly policies. So by comparison, where are we? How far along is Georgia? Well, it depends where you are in Georgia. But none of us have really gotten there. I think it's a process. It's a journey. All of us need to be on that journey. But there are several communities in Georgia, including the city of Atlanta, city of Tucker, Macon, Augusta, there are a number of communities that have officially said, we're on this journey, we're developing a plan, we're going to be age-friendly. So we're making progress. So one of the things that uh, Becky mentioned was housing. And Will, your organization, this is the Microlife Institute, one piece of the affordable housing puzzle that can be important for seniors on fixed income. So tell us about what you do and how it benefits older adults. In a nutshell, I would think that uh, to say that the Microlife Institute helps people explore the progressive zoning that is needed to allow for more types of housing to be built. For example, accessory dwelling units, backyard cottages. So allowing for seniors to remain in their community. Maybe they can't stay in the home that they are currently in, but when they look for another home that's probably better for them to live in, it's not in their neighborhood because nothing is being built in a space-utilized matter to allow them to be independent and autonomous and still be a part of this community. So how does zoning come into it? Is it there, there a question of whether or not you are zoned to put like a backyard cabin or, as you've worked with before, tiny houses on your property? Exactly. So we at the Microlife Institute are really trying to educate and advocate for progressive zoning to allow for more innovative housing options to be utilized. To drive community, you need diversity. You don't just need all a bunch of one demographics in one area. You need the youngins. You need the old ones. You need everyone to be able to be 
to to want to pitch in and be a part of the community to drive you know each other and help each other and are there places where you've done that in Georgia doing these kind of experimental units of housing? So, excitingly enough, we are in process of our first project in Clarkston, Georgia. It's called the Cottages on Vaughn, and they are eight homes, all under 500 square feet, really no steps to the houses. And there are a couple steps up to the front porch, but all the homes are single-level family homes. So how about affordability here? One of the statistics that we know, a rather frightening one, by some estimates, about half of Americans over the age of 55 has no retirement savings. So when they can no longer work, how dire is this housing situation going to become? It is it is very dire um, because housing is just getting more expensive. And unfortunately, we keep seeming to build larger homes like the McMansions that uh, pop up all over. Now, don't get me wrong. It's kind of funny. We actually don't have a housing crisis in the United States. We just need to learn to live together, a la Golden Girls. You know, so I, I knew I was going to bring it up. <laughs> You're onto my plan. And so the idea we do need to be innovative, but with innovation, comes policy. We need to allow a different definition of what a family can be and exist in a single family home. So Becky, you mentioned some of the reasons or some of the features that would make a community more aging in place friendly or age friendly. Mm -hmm. According to the AARP, 88% of older adults would like to live in their current home as long as possible. So there's resistance to moving into assisted living or a nursing home for, for that matter. So what are the benefits to actually staying and aging in place? Well, I think the uh, example that Will gave a minute ago about being ripped out of your community because you need a different kind of housing option, but there's nothing where you've lived is a really important one because you've not only moved out of your home, but you've ripped apart all those relationships you've built. You've ripped apart maybe your faith community, your neighbors that you've known for years. All those important community supports you have in place are gone if you leave. And so if you leave those relationships, you're more likely to become socially isolated. And social isolation leads to all kinds of health problems. So people have a good instinct. They want to stay in place because not just because they're being stubborn, but because they've built a community. And staying in that community and keeping those relationships are really critical. So lots of reasons to stay where you are. The question is, can you get the services you need that will help you stay where you are? And will your house or your transportation options be impediments to that? Getting all of those pieces in place can actually make it quite successful for people to age in place. Well, Becky, you mentioned loneliness and some of the effects of loneliness. What are some of the ways that people who are living in environments that are separate from each other, not particularly connected to the community, how are they finding ways to stay connected? First, let me say a thing about how dangerous social isolation can be. There have been some recent studies that show that social isolation and loneliness is as bad for your health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. So when you think about the health impact of that, that's really frightening. So what are the things we can do to combat that? Staying engaged civically is so important. That could mean volunteering. It could mean staying in the workforce, even if that means part-time work. Something that gives you a purpose is so critical. And staying engaged in community groups, whether it's a faith community or arts organization or something. Senior centers have lots of programming available. What's a way that you can stay connected? Again, this gets us back to 
Do our communities provide transportation options to allow you to stay connected? It gets back to that built environment question. But what are the ways you can purposefully continue to stay engaged in your community? It's so important for well-being and health. Two and a half million people aged 65 or older expected to live in Georgia by the year 2040, and the majority do say that they want to stay in their community. So what does that mean? Well, that's a subject of an Atlanta Regional Commission forum happening today. My guest, Will Johnston, Executive Director of the Microlife Institute, will be among the speakers. Also with us is Becky Kurtz. She's Director for the Atlanta Regional Commission's Metro Atlanta Agency on Aging. So let's talk about driving. Transportation, a huge challenge, not just true in rural parts of the state that don't have buses or trains. 90% of older adults in Atlanta don't have access to transit. So how is that going to impact the quality of life? And how do you move that needle? Because there are so many pressures on creating more public transportation, and that just has not worked. It's working. It just takes time. Yeah. It, we're, That's an optimistic answer. Well, we are making progress, but it's it takes a long time. And it, just like the housing conversation, the transportation conversation also needs to be about options. So transit's going to be an option for some people, but ride sharing is a good option for some people. Volunteer drivers is a good option for some people. There are opportunities out there to think more creatively about transportation options, not only single-family cars and not only Uh, mass transit, but certainly mass transit is a huge piece of the puzzle. So what other kind of services are available for people who are in that situation? They need to get to doctor's appointments. They need to get to the grocery store. One of the things we provide at the Atlanta Regional Commission is a group of trained counselors who help individuals get information about a wide array of services. We call it Empowerline. And you can talk one-on-one with a counselor and say, I have an issue. I need help. Help me figure out my options where I live. And transportation is one of the most frequent ones we get. How can I get to my doctor if I can't drive? What are my choices? And going through all of those options with an individual where they live is something we do every single day. So if if we're talking about a huge, you know, people call it the silver tsunami, such a huge population that is going to be aging in the next couple of years, where are you and your services and other nonprofit organizations or other city services in their capacity to deliver for this kind of a population? Well, first, let me say that we don't use the term silver tsunami. And the reason is because a lot of the older people in our community now and in the future are going to be actually contributing more than they take. So a lot of people are working longer. A lot of people are engaging and becoming very active volunteers. A lot of people are contributing to the community. However, At some point, sometimes people do need additional services, and there are always challenges with meeting that need. Yes, we do have waiting lists for publicly funded services. Yes, we do have more people calling us for services than we're able to answer the phone right away. The demand is there and it is growing. So it's a constant trying to keep up with the with the challenge of that growth. How about getting this information out? You said that this is something that you have available and you have counselors helping people get that information. This is, however, a demographic that has spent the majority of their lives without the Internet, right? But when most of us want to know something, we Google it. Is, is that an effective way to connect with seniors? Yes and no. So, yes, it is for those good percentage of of older adults who actually are web savvy and for their family caregivers. A lot of adult children will find the information 
or even grandchildren and then say, hey, here's an opportunity for you to go and learn more. All of our services, though, are available by telephone. So we're not limited to what's on the Internet by any means. Mm -hmm. So and and this all speaks to also independence. You know, you're talking about communities, but the idea of people having a sense of autonomy over their own lives. And how does that figure into all of these calculations about, you know, because, as we know, dementia, also a growing issue for aging adults, local police and service employees trained to recognize some signs of dementia and provide support. But does Georgia have communities like this? Is there training like that? And are they available? I'll take the dementia piece specifically. Georgia is working very hard on becoming a dementia-friendly state. And that means that we've done a lot of work on training. You mentioned law enforcement officers, um, shopkeepers, restaurant um, workers on how do you recognize that someone might have dementia and respond appropriately if they're confused or having some kind of behavior you don't understand. So we are definitely moving in that direction. The Georgia Division of Aging Services is a state agency that's leading that effort statewide. And we at the Atlanta Regional Commission are very involved in that conversation. I think the conversation is a big thing that both of you are getting to. You know, you are having this conversation on a municipal level. This is something that's going on in places, cities, towns all across the country and as we're hearing all across the world. So how would you encourage somebody who is listening to this to think think more about, like, if, it, if it's not an immediate need for you, the need to have mm. a more age-diverse community around us? We're so good at this in our country. As, as we're, ac- we're reactionary instead of preventative. But why not take the time to think through sustainable, thoughtful mm-hmm. decisions that are, are a healthy impact mm-hmm for so many groups of people in our in our country and yet we we still react um and so how can we think through i mean just what we're talking about loneliness you know how can we design and encourage our developers to build for that instead of just building we don't realize how much architecture affects our life every day and it it's also back to psychology it's mental i mean interacting with a building could make you happy it also could terrify you and make you very lonely and sad. So how can we bring these human concepts into future ways we design for uh, the future Atlanta, for different cities? It's so crucial that we take into account of how we design future buildings to address just it's a simple concern of being lonely. We know, you know, if you're talking to advertisers, the demographic that they're going for is young. You mentioned earlier, Becky, that people who are older are giving back to society. They're still earning money. This is this is a way that I think we've kind of written people off in the past. How do we reel that back in? Actually, it's a real interesting thing that we discriminate against older people, but we're actually discriminating against our future. Good point. Because we're all aging. And so anything we do that supports myths about aging or is denigrating older people just because of their age is something we're going to be living in the future. So it's a really important thing to think about ourselves individually, as well as how we're talking about it. It's a society, I believe. But in answer to your question about preparing for that future, I think if we aren't in denial that we're getting older, Then we can start planning for what are the possibilities. How do I want – I want to stay in this neighborhood when I grow older. How can I make sure that happens? How can I get engaged with the community, 
conversations to make sure options are here for transportation for housing? How can I make sure that I know who to reach out to when I need services in my home to be able to stay there? That's a conversation that families are starting to have more and more. And really, that's the conversation this forum is all about. Becky Kurtz, thank you so much for speaking with us. Thank you. Becky Kurtz is director of Metro Atlanta's Agency on Aging. And Will Johnson, thank you so much. Glad to be here. Will is executive director of the Microlife Institute. They are today going to both be part of the forum Lifelong Communities, making the Atlanta region age-friendly. We always love to hear from you. We're on Facebook and we're on Twitter at OST Talk, or you can email us at onsecondthought at gpb.org. I'm Virginia Prescott. This is On Second Thought.